A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. Well, hey there. Welcome to another edition of the Retirement Toolbox. Walter Storholt alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor, president of Skybox Financial Group, serving you in the greater Cleveland area and also an office down in Bradenton, Florida as well. You can find us online at skyboxfinancialgroup.com or schedule a time to meet with Scott at talktoscott.com. Scott, great to be with you this week. How are you, my friend? Boy, Walter, you sound super excited today. I was. Uh, well, I, I, I did have a vacation last week, so I'm a bit rejuvenated. Perhaps that helps. Do you have an extra cup of coffee or something? I actually like did just go. have a. I, I skipped breakfast this morning because uh, I slept a little late and then had to rush over and start working. So for lunch, I actually had what I would normally have for breakfast, which was a big old cup of coffee. So yeah, I actually <laughs> did just finish a nice. That that tall explains coffee. your excitement to do the uh, retirement <laughs> toolbox podcast. Well, let's see. Let's take our listeners behind the scenes, Scott. We normally record at what, like. 10, 10.30? Is that our usual time? Something like that? Yeah, I think it's uh, 10, yeah. 10 a.m. And so I, you know, I've had coffee at what, like probably seven that morning. So it's starting to wear off a little bit by the time we normally record. But now I just had one for lunch and boom, there's the difference. And we're recording later at, at one o'clock. Yeah, so. we're doing one o'clock today. So yeah. Vacation plus uh, recent jolt of coffee. Boom. Better intro. Just like that. We've found the magic formula. We did. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start having espressos before the podcast. <laughs> oh, too good. Too good. Uh, well, I hope you are doing well, and we have a great episode on the way today. We're gonna be talking about tax consequences. All right. So this is actually pretty good. We're not just talking about taxes, but tax consequences. Uh, looking at different accounts, what all happens in these different accounts, the pros and cons of these things, and. Honestly, if we don't have a good understanding of these differences, it can lead us leave us in a bad way, right, Scott? Because we might think we have X amount of dollars for retirement when really that's not what's in our pocket. Boy, you know what? It's I think mistakes a lot of people may make simply because they just don't know any better. Plus, nobody likes taxes, so no one wants to necessarily deal with them. But there certainly are uh, a lot of advantages to planning, understanding, and working with somebody that can kind of guide you to minimize those taxes for you, not only while you're investing, but when you're retired, and then even also when you pass it on to your next generation. Well, here's something I think that'll be helpful. We're going to try and really make all this easy to understand, because when I first started learning about taxes and these different accounts and saving for retirement... I had the toughest time, Scott, for whatever reason, the buzzwords to just not lodge into my brain very easily. But the the differences between things like tax deferred versus taxable versus tax free took a while for all of that to finally like separate itself and, and truly resonate with me. It, it just was hard to keep them all straight um, because they all had the word tax in it. <laughs> so yep. it was hard to remember what then like the qualifying word after the word tax then did to those accounts. So we're going to try and draw some clarity between those different things. 
and a few other items on today's episode. Plus, uh, we're going to have a really good question coming up from Ben uh, to wrap up today's show, by the way. Uh, Ben is wondering a little bit about uh, owning a business for about 20 years, thinking of retiring soon, and trying to figure out, am I better to uh, sell the business or retain some ownership? and figure out those elements too. So we'll take things in a little bit different direction to end the show. Uh, But let's dive in, start talking about these tax consequences and pros and cons of various accounts. And would I be wrong in saying that tax-deferred accounts, that'll be our first buzzword, tax-deferred. These are things like 401ks, IRAs. Would I be fair in saying that these are the most popular accounts out there? Well, I tell you what, when a lot of people come in, I... Most people have the majority of their assets in these tax deferred accounts because you know we've always learned that you know when I first started many moons ago at Merrill Lynch, we started you know we were taught that while you're working, you continue to throw money in your employer retirement plan, keep saving and saving and saving as much as you can because when you retire, you're going to be on a lower tax bracket. Now I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be the case. So. Your tax-deferred accounts are taxes that you put money in. There are any types of retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, SEP IRAs, 457 plans, on and on. You don't pay taxes when you put the money in, and then it continues to grow tax-deferred, and then you take money out. When you take money out, that's when you pay taxes on it. So you're deferring the taxes till later on. Now, the majority of people have their money saved up in here because they've been saving through their 401k at work, and they've just been following that that mantra and continuing to save and save and save. So a lot of the times, you know, 80, 90% of their assets they're going to use for retirement are going to be in that tax-deferred accounts. But the pro is it's easy to save because you're putting that money in every month out of your paycheck or you're making IRA contribution, you can deduct it from your taxes. But the con is, is that when you start taking money out to fund your retirement, all of that money is then taxable and it's added on to your taxable income for that year. And it also affects the taxability of your Social Security. It affects your brackets and how much you're going to pay in taxes. And sometimes it'll move people up into a bracket and they'll start paying a higher marginal tax rate on some of that money. So it's actually, when people are saving and accumulating, they're not thinking about these types of things when they retire. And my book is the Ticking Ticking Tax Retirement, Ticking Tax Retirement Tax Time Bomb. Oh, jeez, I even messed that up. I, the hell's the name of that book? <laughs> <laughs> it's a time bomb. It's a, it's a ticking tax. It's a, it's a time. It, the, the tax is ticking. It's, it's, oh, it's a bomb. It's just a bomb. We have to, we have to record at 10 a.m. from now on. Yeah, yeah. I can't do it in the afternoon The, the, the afternoon theory is shot now. <laughs> Whatever the name of that book is. Um, it truly is a ticking tax time bomb because that money continues to uh, accumulate and accumulate and accumulate in there. And then you're forced to take that money out when you're 72 or 70 and a half if you were a little younger and you started already taking that money. But at 72, they're going to make you start taking about 4% or so of that money out every year. And that's going to get added on. So you know, this is where the majority of people have their assets and they don't realize the tax consequences and how it'll affect the taxability of Social Security. Then, just to throw another 
uh, insult onto the injury here is that when you pass away, your heirs need to pay taxes on that money. So picture this situation, Walter, where we've got somebody that you know, they've accumulated a million dollars in IRA. They've got two kids. They pass away. They, they didn't spend all their money in there. So there's a million dollars left when they pass away. And each one of those kids inherit $500,000. Well, usually when those kids inherit that money, they're going to have a choice where they can take that money out. In most cases, they're going to have to take that money out over a 10-year time period. So if they're smart, that $500,000, they're going to take out $50,000 a year for 10 years. But that $50,000 gets added on to their income every year. And usually when, when, when people pass away, their kids are in their prime earning years. They're, they're making probably the most money they're going to make in their life. And then all of a sudden they have $50,000 added on there. And uh, it'll push them up in a higher tax bracket. They may be paying 24% on it as opposed to the parents. When they were still alive, they were paying 12% on that money or whatever the case may be. So, you know, again, passing it to that generation is something else people don't think about. It, and then all of a sudden now their kids are going to inherit this money and pay even more taxes on it. So, yeah, there are definitely pros and cons to the tax-deferred accounts, but you need to be aware of what those cons are and then plan accordingly ahead of time. All right, so let's then contrast that. We enter this word Roth into the equation, and that gets most associated with now a tax-free type of account. So what are the differences we transition from that tax-deferred, where we're saying, all right, we're going to pay these taxes later, to now a tax-free account? Yeah, so the tax-free account I always call it kind of the golden goose because you pay taxes on that money when you put it in. So you put after-tax money into the Roth. You don't get a tax deduction. It doesn't come out of your pay check before tax. But that money, you pay taxes on it now. It all grows tax-free. Then when you take that money out later on in retirement, you never pay taxes on that money. And then when you pass it to the kids, they don't pay taxes on that money either. It's, they still have that 10-year rule, but you know they would just keep it in there if they didn't need it for 10 years and pay the money. Um, I mean, then take the money out. They wouldn't have to pay taxes on that money. But the Roth IRA is the most popular of these tax-free accounts. And you can actually do conversions from your existing tax-deferred accounts, your IRAs, for instance, to a Roth. So you can take that money that's growing tax-deferred that's going to be taxable later on, and you can convert it to a Roth. You have to pay taxes when you do that conversion, but after that point, all that money grows tax-free for you, uh, and, and taxes will never be paid on that money or any of the growth ever again. There's a couple other truly tax-free accounts, too. Internal Revenue Code 7702. I say that because it's kind of a dirty word. Uh, life insurance. Life insurance you can utilize as a tax-free account. And uh, that was around even before Roth IRAs are out there. It's tricky. You have to have a certain type of product. And I certainly recommend everybody, if you're thinking about using life insurance for tax-free accounts, that you contact a, a professional to help guide you through that. And the third way is HSA accounts. HSA accounts are something that a lot of people don't even think of, but they're actually triple tax-free. You get a tax deduction when you put money in your HSA account. 
all that money grows tax-free. And then if you take it out to pay for qualified medical expenses in your retirement or whenever, that money comes out tax-free. There actually are limits, though, on how much that you can contribute to all these different accounts, um, except the insurance. The insurance, you can put as much as you want to weigh in. But the Roth IRA contribution, you can put up to $6,000 if you're under age 50. If you're over age 50, $7,000. But that's also phased out based on how much money you're making. The HSA, you need to have a qualified health insurance policy that qualifies to be able to have an HSA along with it. And then you're limited to $3,600 for an individual, $7,200 for a family. So, you know, you can't really build a lot through making normal contributions to either one of those. So the more, the earlier you start, the better off that you're going to be accumulating in there. Now with the Roth, you, you can contribute through your 401k plan. In a lot of places, they do allow you to make Roth contributions as opposed to regular pre-tax contributions. And then that would allow you to put more in. You would have up to what the 401k limits are as far as contributions. But I think everybody should start building some money in the tax-free accounts because I think later on in retirement, it's definitely going to be something that um, they can utilize. So it's really, if we're deferring the taxes on the first one, uh, meaning we're paying it later, it's a pay me now or pay me later situation, right? Tax-free means we've already paid it. We paid them now, and then the growth on those things is now free, and that's why it's kind of classic. We're still paying the taxes, but tax-free is just on the growth part. Right, and you need to ask yourself, do you think tax rates are going up in the future, or do you think they're going to stay the same or go down? If you think they're going to go up, then maybe yeah. it makes some sense for you to pay the taxes now because tax rates may be higher in the future or they may be higher for your kids in the future. I'm guessing up. That's just a guess. Yeah, I'm no rocket scientist, but uh, I'd go with up too. <laughs> if you had to place a bet, that might be where uh, yeah. it gets placed. All right, so we have tax-deferred, tax-free, and now we'll confuse things with taxable. <laughs> so what about taxable accounts? What are examples of that, and how is that different from the first two things we've talked about? Well, so taxable accounts, these are going to be like your normal savings or checking account in the bank, a brokerage account that you have at a brokerage firm, or any type of investment where you get a 1099 every year on it. So you actually are paying taxes on any interests or dividends that you earn every year as they're earned. The disadvantage of these types of accounts is that they're the least efficient way for you to grow money because there's no deferral. There's no tax deferral. There's no you know, IRA kind of taxable deferral, and there's no tax-free deferral like you'd have in a Roth because you're paying taxes every year on that. It doesn't grow as efficiently as those tax-deferred accounts do. The other thing to consider, too, though, that taxable accounts, you actually, um, you know, this is usually money that's completely liquid. It's not locked in. You don't have 59 and a half rolls like you do on an IRA or a Roth. So you can run and grab that money anytime you want. If the money's in the bank in a regular savings account, you can drive by the bank. It gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling knowing your money's in there but that money is completely liquid to you. So a taxable account you know, is going to be something you get that 1099 and you pay taxes on it every year. Makes sense. All right, sort of saying one, the very first one, tax deferred, we're paying tax later, 
tax-free accounts. We're putting in money that's already been taxed, and so the growth is free. And taxable accounts is sort of in between where we're paying taxes as we go. Correct. All right. Very good. Now, that's not the full picture. We've got a few other products that have some tax consequences of these different accounts, but we'll get a little bit away from the whole tax-deferred, tax-free, taxable verbiage. What about the good old CDs? Used to be real popular, not so much these days, but what do we need to know about taxes when it comes to CDs in case somebody is still looking at those or has one of those? Yeah, no, you know, CDs are kind of unique. And, you know, I have a little story. And uh, obviously, interest rates have been low now for 20 plus years. And, you know, CDs aren't that attractive anymore. You you put you have to lock your money in for a year to get 0.5% or whatever they pay, right? But I had a client that came in years ago, that actually had a CD that was in an IRA, which I'll talk about in a second. But a CD that was in an IRA paying 14% a year. It was a 30-year CD. And don't quote me on these numbers, but I think she had originally put in $3,000, which was the contribution limit to IRAs back then. It grew for 30 years, and it was somewhere right around $88,000 at 14% guaranteed for 30 years. I mean, when she originally put that money in there, that money was not... uh, you know, she probably was doubting herself, thinking, why would I want to lock in 14% for 30 years? Uh, but it ended up being a smooth move. So CDs are a little unique in that they actually, you can have either an IRA or tax-deferred CD. You can actually have a taxable CD or even a tax-free CD. And it's the CD is really kind of the product. And then it's like, what type of account is that product in? So if you've got a CD that's in a tax deferred account, you would not pay taxes on any interest that that CD earns every year. It would keep growing and, and building on that CD. Then when you would go to renew it, whether it was a one-year CD, you know, six month, three year, five year, whatever the case may be, you would then have an opportunity to renew that CD, not only the interest that it's earned, but then also the actual principal you put in, and there would be no taxes owed. It would just be, again, until you would take that money out of that IRA or out of that CD and spend it, you wouldn't pay taxes on that. Same thing with the tax-free, and that, that money, if you have a CD and a Roth IRA, Again, it pays interest. That money keeps building on and adding to the value of your CD. But when you take money out at the end, you don't pay taxes on any of that growth. The taxable version of the CD, you actually, every year you get the 1099 for the interest that the CD earns. Even if they reinvest it back into the CD, uh, you're still going to pay taxes on that money every year. So if you just take money out of your savings account, you put ten grand in a CD, it's going to pay you interest, and that money then is going to be taxable to you every year. So the CDs are kind of more like the product, and you can use any of those three, the tax-deferred, the tax-free, or the taxable accounts, to actually put that CD into. All right, very good. So a little bit of a unique situation there with the CDs. Last but not least, life insurance. Sometimes people are surprised that this would get included into talking about tax consequences. Yeah, and I mentioned it in that tax-free account because you know, life insurance is one of the you know, original tax-free investments. 
You have to be careful though, because you know there are ways you can kind of find yourself in a pickle by trying to have the wrong type of life insurance or utilizing it in a wrong wrong way. But it, kind of a thirty thousand foot in a nutshell view. If you put money into life insurance, you can put in as much as you want. That money inside there, depending on the product, might be linked to an index where if the index goes up, you make money. If it goes down, you don't, but they'll cap you. It could be invested in mutual funds or they could just pay you a fixed interest rate. Either way, when you put that money in, it's invested. All that money is going to continue to compound like we like the tax-deferred and tax-free accounts do. But if you take the money out of life insurance via a loan instead of a withdrawal, all that money's tax-free. Now, I don't want to get too super nerdy on the podcast, but there are things you have to look out for and how much they charge you for the loan. Is the money How's the money invested when you take the money out for the loan? Um, a lot of different issues to look at, but basically you could put as much as you wanted every year. Even you could lump some $100,000, $200,000, have that money grow tax-deferred, take it out tax-free via loans if you wanted any of that growth later on in the future. And if you never use that money, guess what? It also pays a tax-free death benefit to your heirs. That's usually in excess of the amount of money that you put in. So it's really kind of this kind of gray area where you can really use that in a lot of different situations if you have the right product for the right situation. Well, there you go. Lots of good details about tax consequences, some pros and cons of various accounts. And if you have any questions about this, feel free to reach out to Scott. Talk a little bit about these and how it impacts your specific situation. You can reach out by calling 888-742-0111 or the easy way to do it. Go to talktoscott.com and schedule a time to visit with Scott at your convenience. Tap into that more than 20 years of experience and that great financial knowledge that Scott brings to each and every show and every day into the office with his clients. Again, go to talktoscott.com and schedule a time to visit that's convenient for you. And uh, we'll put the contact info in the description of today's show so it's easy for you to find. Thank you, Scott, for giving us the breakdown on those tax consequences. Now it's time to get to know you a little bit better. It's getting to know you time. All right, here's my fun question for you this week, Scott, on our getting to know you segment. Um, and I think this will be uh, a pretty good one. All right, so this one has to do with uh, spending money, something that everybody likes to talk about. Uh, what's something that you think is worth spending more money to get the best quality? <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of different things, really. Boy, I could just tell from previous experiences I've had in the last year is that I think uh, contractors are, are something. You know, we had our kitchen redone. And, you know, we got different quotes and, you know, this guy wasn't the most expensive. He wasn't the cheapest, but also when he did the work, you could tell it was probably not some of the best work. Okay. Uh, you know, so that's one thing. So I think, you know, spending on when someone does, is doing home improvements or something in the house, maybe sometimes you get what you pay for. Uh, the other thing is, is, you know, geez, carpet. Uh, we bought carpet years ago. I know these are weird answers, but these are things that, you know, I, there's so many things you could think of, but we got carpet years ago and, you know, it's starting to wear in ways that we didn't think it was going to. And, uh, boy, I kept thinking to myself, boy, if I just would have bought that premium, the best carpet, it might not be wearing at this point. But 
Boy, there, there's like a thousand things you can That's think of. That's actually a good point. Yeah. The carpet does make a big difference. It does. I mean, the padding, we got like thick padding, but the actual carpet itself, we didn't have uh, quite as much on there. You know, it, it's, we didn't buy the better quality. That's interesting. I think that's uh, those are good answers. Contractor and also the um, the the carpet. I think that's a unique answer. I like that. Um, I was going to say underwear. <laughs> 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 to me, that would be my. Uh, I I started buying. So I I will totally admit I pay somewhere between ten and twenty dollars per pair of underwear. Wow! It makes a complete difference. I think. In my daily happiness versus the, you know, grab bag, uh, you know, X amount of boxers for $5 or something like that. So, so you're a boxer brief guy. Uh, I, so I do boxer briefs. Okay. I'm a okay. boxer briefs guy. So I like the longer, the longer brief and they're, they're like athletic and, but I, I wear them just all the time, the athletic version. So they're bendable, breathable, flexible, all that good stuff. And I think yeah. it just makes a world of difference. Man, I tell you what, never I never would have thought you would have pulled out the underwear. <laughs> See, because I'm not as big of a believer in like you know spending a whole lot of money on shirts and other clothing, but uh, but underwear, I'll go all out and and pay the top dollar for for good underwear. It's kind of like how h- hikers will talk about you know socks and be like, yeah, put your money into socks because you got to keep your feet dry and warm. Yep. But to, you know, everyday folks, maybe the socks aren't as important. Who knows? But I tell you what, another thing, thinking of the socks line are tennis shoes. Boy, I think at tennis shoes, you really do get what you pay for. You can, you can mean, put a lot of money into tennis shoes. Yeah, running shoes and specialty shoes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But boy, when they're built good and they got good arch support, boy, it makes a world of difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of person that when I find that pair of shoes that I really like, I'll go buy three or four pairs. And, you know, have them for, you know, so you can have them for a good one, two years of the same dependable shoe before you have to then, you know, go back to the Wild West and try another one. Yeah. I, you know, I used to be so cheap that I would, you know, I would literally wear the same pair of tennis shoes until there was like holes in them, right? That's true. I do that as well. Yeah. Your, your foot is literally blasting through the bottom of the shoe. But, you know, if you wear them too long, you know, a lot of the support and the things you liked about them originally start disappearing on them. That's true. Yeah. Which makes sense, right? You got to kind of trade them in. I, I, I usually take my tennis shoes and I'll, I move them to my grass cutting shoes. So like my new ones. Yep. And then your old grass cutting shoes go out. Yeah. You put the rotation in, right? Yeah. So I got my grass cutting shoes, which are all green and nasty. And, but those were my old, you know, primo tennis shoes. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah, uh, I I love the routine. That's what I do too. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we could probably spend all day talking about things that are worth spending the extra money on. Uh, wh- where you go the extra mile, but some good examples for folks on today's show. Maybe TMI uh, in regards to the underwear. But hey, there you have it. Uh, more coming up on the show. In fact, we're going to answer one of your questions about being a small business owner coming up next. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. All right, this week's mailbag question comes to us from Ben. And here is what Ben is wondering, Scott. He says, I've owned my own business for about 20 years, and I'm thinking about retirement within the next three to four. Am I better off to try and sell the business or retain ownership and hope my employees can run it effectively without me actually being there? You know, Ben, this is a great question. Ironically, I just had this conversation 
with somebody last week. And you know, there's a lot of different factors that come into play. Usually, if you're a business owner, it, it, you know, it's going to depend on the size of the business and a lot of different factors. But if you outright and sell it, you're going to get a certain multiple of that business, depending, again, what kind it is and the size. But that money's only going to last you for a certain amount of time. And then that money's gone. Plus, if you sell the business, too, you have to worry about capital gains, tax issues, and all sorts of fun stuff there that comes into play. What a lot of business owners choose to do is to get some good leadership underneath them, people that they know. Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it's you know just an employee, somebody you know, that they know can run that business. And they slowly start moving themselves out, like for in your case, in the next three, four years. But what you can do then is you can start to give them part ownership in the company. You know, there's different ways to do that, whether, you know, they, they buy in out of their paycheck or bonuses or whatever the case may be. But then you're able to actually continue to get revenue off of that business while you're still alive. So every month, you know, you get, you know, X amount every month as part of the revenue of the company. Then when you eventually pass away, you know, there's an agreement in place where maybe you can do it through life insurance, where if you pass away, then that life insurance pays out and pays off uh, your family for the value of that business at that point in time. And if you use life insurance, guess what? As we talked earlier in the podcast, that death benefits tax-free. Um, so you kind of avoid some tax consequences. But the other thing, too, is that you could also have it so that over, let's say, a 10-year time period after you pass away, that your family would continue to get X amount of that revenue from that company for 10 years. But uh, that's how, you know, so there's different ways to skin a cat, kind of. Uh, usually from a tax standpoint, you know, if you can get that person to run your business that you truly feel comfortable, won't run it into the ground when you're gone, and can give them part ownership so they're vested in that company, that generally might be the best route for you to go. But there's a lot of different things. You know, if you go to www.talktoscott.com and you want to schedule a phone call and I can kind of run through some different things for your specific situation, I'd be more than happy to help you out there, Ben. Thank you for the question, Ben. And again, if you want to get in touch, it's talktoscott.com or just check the show notes of today's program. You'll find the necessary links there to get in touch with Scott, as well as the phone number, 888-742-0111. And you can see it's a, it's a wide-ranging amount of things that you can talk to Scott about when it comes to your finances and retirement and planning for your financial future. Uh, just so don't hesitate to reach out and ask those questions as they come up and uh, get a review with Scott and the team. Again, uh, thank you for listening to today's show. Scott, thank you for the help, and we'll look forward to another good episode with you soon. I love it. Next time we'll do it in the morning, though. <laughs> That's right. We'll have to bump it up a little bit. Or just drink coffee right beforehand, and we can still keep that same energy. There you go. We'll hit the magic formula. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time here on the Retirement Toolbox. Go Browns. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.